0: Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. Uh, If you missed it earlier in the week, this is a new time slot, 10 to 12. You can get your Blair and Barker fix, 5 to 7. Although it's a 1 o'clock game today, so they'll kind of just fit in where they get in. Um, Jay's lose again last night. The shine of a 20 to 1 Tuesday victory quickly dimmed out. Back on the losing side, uh, they drop a 7-3. Decision to the Tampa Bay Rays, rough one for Yusei Kikuchi, rough one for the Bats. They've now lost eight of ten, all divisional, two and twelve in their last fourteen within the American League East. Those that standing page is starting to look uh, starting to look a little dicey as everyone around them uh, performs pretty well, and the Jays continue to sputter here. Uh, we've got a pretty loaded show as we not only break down what happened last night, but set up today's one p.m. start, Zach Eflin against. Alec Manoa, Jays need the win to salvage a split here before they take off and face the AL Central leading Minnesota twins over the weekend. Who better to help us sort through everything that happened yesterday, everything that's gonna happen today than sports and analyst Caleb Joseph? Caleb, good morning. Thanks for uh thanks for coming in a little early. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Glad to be here.
1: Good. Wish the uh wish the Jays were winning a little bit more. Covering winning edition of Jays baseball is always exciting. But long season still a bunch of games left.
0: Yeah, a lot of games left and that feels more like a threat than a promise <laughs> right now. Uh you know, 50 games in, a 26 and 24 record in a lot of divisions in baseball feels pretty good, but when you are 26 and 24 in this year's American League East and you've dropped 8 of the last 10 all within your division, uh, it's a little tougher. Um how much extra for you does this little skid Matter given that it is all against divisional competition. It's against the Yankees, it's against the Orioles, it's against the Rays. We're not too far removed from not a great series against the Red Sox either. Um, obviously, the quality of competition is really difficult that way, but these are the teams you want to measure yourself against.
1: You do. And this division is tough. Like you've said, you want to win the division. We've seen what happens when you have to go into kind of a wild card scenario. Anything can happen, right? And I think that's the. Desires to win the division, yet you look at the standings and it seems like the Rays are just pulling further and further and further away, even though there's a ton of games left to be played, there gets a point there gets a point where there could be so much gap there that it's really, really difficult to make up. You have to assume that all of these other East teams are going to go and beat up on the pirates they're going to beat up on the cubs they're going to beat up on. The Cincinnati Reds. You have to assume they're going to win. Then what's the separator? The separator then is winning interdivision games. Jays have not been very good at it so far. That's how you're gonna have to make up this ground. So they're gonna have to win a lot of games outside of the division and start absolutely thumping the division to get up to the top. Can they do it? Absolutely. They're 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 one little heater away from being right back in it, but right now it seems like they're a long ways away. Yeah, they just need Luke
0: Rayley to start a couple <laughs> games here for, for sure. Tampa Bay, and right. be
1: right back on track. But no, you're right. And,
0: and Sunday actually, this feels fast. But Sunday marks the one third of the way sure. of their schedule. So if you're nine or ten games back, a third of the way in, it's not like you get 162 games to catch up ten games. Right? You've got to then, you know, play at a plus 15 pace mm. to to catch Tampa Bay the rest of the way. Uh, so it gets pretty pretty dicey pretty quickly and like you said to have you know to do all the work of a whole off season of a whole 162 and know this early that if you make the playoffs because they're two and a half games out of a playoff spot right now so it's not a not a certainty even though we think it's pretty likely that they'll they'll find themselves in a spot um that all this work is going to come down to a best two out of three where anything can happen Mm. it's uh not not a great feeling this early so let's dissect a little bit of, of last night yuse kikuchi has uh, another rough one five it gives them five innings but allows five earned um you know five strikeouts great but but a couple of walks a couple of home runs um what did you see from Yusei kikuchi last night and you know how much what w- was last night unique versus you know continuation of of him coming back to earth a little bit in may
1: here yeah this month has been tough and i really believe that he doesn't have enough separation between the breaking balls and his fastball. When, he sees, when we see his fastball 95, 96, that's a really good sign. When he brings that type of velocity, you feel really good about that. Yet, when you look at this cutter, slider, whatever he wants to call it, it is a, it's a cut fastball. It can mm-hmm. go between 89, 90, 91. I think it even hit 92 yesterday on the gun. There's not a ton of separation there. He did start throwing a little bit of of, of a breaking ball, curveball yesterday that could get down to that 83, 85 range. I like that one a lot more than the 88 to 91 cut fastball. As a catcher, you you need that difference, hopefully of 10 miles an hour to really push and pull that hitter. When you have a hitter that's up there that is a little bit late on a fastball, because you say does have a nice zippy hoppy fastball. You have some guys that are just a tick late. Those guys, you need if you don't want to throw the fastball, you're looking at that 83 slow breaker to get them out in front. Otherwise, when you throw that 90-91 cut fastball, if they're just a tick late on the regular fastball, that's right into the barrel. If he wants to throw that, he's got to locate it perfectly on that down and end spot to the right-handed hitters. And early on in the season, he was nailing that spot with that 90-91 cut fastball. This month, the usage in terms of uh, spray charts is all over the map. It's way more in the middle of the zone. And so he's throwing that pitch, which is basically right at their bat. I'd like to see him use that 83 more breaking ball, uh, more of a curveball type. And I love that 10 mile hour separation. But that pitch alone, I I feel like, has really hurt him this month. That cut fastball has really destroyed him. And it does seem like Yusei
0: Kikuchi would agree with you. Um, he's he'd thrown that curveball fewer than 10% of the pitches he'd thrown coming into last night. He, he threw 19 of them last night trying to figure something out with the slider or cut fastball not there again. And he, he said, this is from Shai Davidi's uh, postgame piece at sports.ca. I realize that the shape is not the greatest right now. The slider is being a little more like a cutter right now. So he's aware of it too. Um, you know, I don't know if you were talking to him after yeah. the game or something. Oh, just, um, just watch the shape. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously that's something you you can try to work on in bullpens and things like that. But when you look at, you know, this is a couple starts in a row of this. This is uh, it, it's it's a bit of a tough spot because that when it's on and and it looks more like a slider has been maybe his most effective out pitch. How do you balance that as you work with Yusei Kikuchi between now and his next start, where you've got to try to find that shape back and you've got to try it in a game. If it, if it feels good in a bullpen, but it's, you know, like, do you have to go into his next start thinking, Hey, we got to go away from it quickly. If it's not there.
1: I think that pitch is something he can and should throw when he needs a strike. So like, let's say maybe three, one, one, Oh, in counts where you know a guy's going to be aggressive and he's a really good fastball hitter that you might have a little bit of room for error. I'm talking about that kind of cut mm-hmm. fastball. Otherwise, I would really try and hammer out that, that bigger-shaped breaking ball and continue to call that. These are two totally separate pitches that he's, he's calling. Um, I wish he would throw that big breaker a little bit more. The, the thing about you say, though, is he has not walked very many people this year. He's been really good in terms of creating contact. And he's done that by being aggressive, super aggressive. I mean, his pace is excellent. So it's like, okay, you're throwing a nice cut fastball that's it's a little bit velocity-wise too high for me, but I want you to back that down. So sometimes when you ask a guy to to kind of slow down a breaking ball, they lose a little bit of that aggressiveness. So the last thing that I think the Blue Jays want is for him to kind of tick back a little bit, whether it's the split or whether it's that slider, and lose some of that aggressiveness. And now, you know, he's starting to spray the fastball. That's the last thing that can happen because he has been in the zone, and that was a huge problem for him uh, last year and in years past. So the fact that he's aggressive is good. I I think he knows what he needs to do in terms of that shape. He's done it. He can do it. It's just a matter of calling it and executing it and, yes, just throwing it versus – Throwing that cut fastball. I think that's his I think that's his security blanket, that cut fastball. He really likes that pitch when he really needs a strike and it's a it's a fallback pitch for him. When he doesn't feel good, when he feels like he needs a strike, he wants to go to that pitch. And I would try and limit that pitch as few times as possible.
0: It's also a pitch that, yes, he throws for strikes well, but in John Schneider's estimation last night, mistakes in the middle, right? You yeah. say he's cut down the walk significantly. He's allowed more home runs than any pitcher in baseball now. And uh, it's one thing to be able to throw it for a strike, but mm-hmm. if you're not able to locate it on the the edges, you know, sure. we reference edge percentage sometimes, yeah. ha- mm-hmm. how often a pitch is like a borderline strike that a hitter maybe has to make a tough decision on. You know, it, it's not... It's
1: not all that helpful if you're if you're throwing it for a strike and it's over the the meat of the play, right? Yeah, you're looking for edge and off. And last month when he was having a ton of success, that was the pitch that that location with that pitch, he was getting a lot of outs. It's just that down and in quadrant to the right handed hitter. If you go on baseball savant, the heat map was just perfectly down there. You look this month and it's it's kind of all over the place. And so If he wants to throw that pitch, it's got to be perfectly executed. And that's another reason why I don't love it as much. Not only is it not a really good speed for his pitch profile, it has to be perfectly located every time. And I don't like that. I like creating room for error. I like using different pitches in different spots where you have more room for error so you're not asking that pitcher to be absolutely perfect every single time. That's hard to do, and it puts a lot of stress on them.
0: It sounds like it does. So um, the the other big note from last night, especially you know, I love talking catcher stuff with you. Uh, Danny Jansen leaves that game with left groin tightness. Now that that lined up with you say Kikuchi coming out of the game, so we don't need to dig in on the Jansen versus Kirk sure, with Kikuchi. Right. But we have seen them change up the the pitcher catcher uh, pairings a little bit. Let's let's start with the Danny Jansen focus though. Um, we don't know yet. We don't have uh, any update from this morning down in Tampa Bay. I'd assume we'll get one pretty quickly. Tyler Heineman was pulled from the Buffalo Bisons game last night as a precaution. I'd imagine he hopped on a, a flight sure. right to mm-hmm. right to Tampa from wherever the Bisons were playing. Um, when it comes to an injury like this for a catcher, in your experience, it, you know we saw with Santiago Espinal they waited a day or two to really see how it responded, things like that.
1: You don't really have that luxury when it comes to a catcher, right? Yeah, you don't. Because you don't wanna put somebody back there that doesn't know what they're doing. The the good thing is they do have Dalton Farshaw mm-hmm. who can in a pinch go back there. And we saw a couple days ago it looked like if you say was going <laughs> pinch run, Dalton might have to go and end up catching. But yeah, that it, it I think it was reported that right growing tightness mm-hmm. and that's a tough that's a tough one. If that is it, hopefully it was just a small little minor tweak. If that is the case, that's that's gonna be a tough one. It's kinda of like a hamstring in that they they can heal very quickly. They can heal not so quickly. I've seen growings and hamstrings go from what you think maybe two weeks to, goodness, eight weeks, 12 weeks at mm-hmm. times. They're they're so unpredictable. And I hate that because Daniel Jensen's really starting to, to, it seems like, get into a rhythm offensively. And, goodness, I mean, for like the third straight year, it feels like every time he starts to really get going, getting more playing time, kind of taking that number one role, something injury-wise happens to him. So, hopefully – Hopefully it's just a very small minor tweak and maybe it was more precautionary than, oh, that's it, it's gone, more or less, hey, I think I feel something I don't want to push it uh, because he he was really starting to kind of swing the bat really well for the Jays.
0: It's almost like catchers are really physically demanding. Oh, position, man, yeah, as, <laughs> as, as if like, time, foul man.
1: balls and squatting nine innings yeah. every – every other day or so is is not enough yeah it's a it's a demanding position Mm -hmm. that's why if you can find a guy that's really good on defense he's really good on offense can call a really good game they make 100 million dollars and they have hof by the by the end of their name yeah or
0: like on the weekend you know everyone kind of celebrating the unofficial one-year anniversary of adley rutschman because you know seven wins above replacement in a calendar year and has played more innings behind the plate than anyone since he came up. Right. Like even that alone is is such a, it's why Salvador Perez is going to go down as like the Kansas city Royal since like the George Brett era position, just staying back there. So um, given what you've seen and you know, we don't want to credit everything to Danny Jansen or or ding Alejandro Kirk as pitcher catcher combinations change. And, And Alejandro Kirk was going to catch Alec Manoa today regardless. That would, It was planned that that they would go back to that. But Alec Manoa did take a bit of a step forward mm-hmm. with Jansen behind the plate. Jose Barrios has had some success with Jansen behind the plate. If Jansen were to hit the IL, how big a loss is that for not just because the bat's heating up, but for
1: the pitching staff right now? Yeah, it's, it's a hit. Uh, anytime you're switching catchers, no matter if you have prior experience, no experience, a ton of experience. It it's There's a rhythm and flow to the game that these guys start to create. You have a pretty good idea of what those guys want in terms of sequences, in terms of uh, certain locations. Bassett is incredibly uh, detail-oriented where he needs guys to set up. So has Heinemann caught a bunch of these guys? Absolutely, going back to his time with the Jays previously. <laughs> Yet, things change too. I mean, you say he's different than he was... When Heineman caught him previously, all of those type of of key issues. Yes, it's a huge deal that you just hope that Daniel Jensen's out for a couple days and he's gonna be able to avoid an I. L stint. Can it can it can it be done? Absolutely. I mean, catchers get hurt all the time, pitchers adjust, but it's that little adjustment period that might take a start with each guy that the Jays just don't have. They don't have time for this. You know, they're, they're especially we just, right now. Yes. We went over the standings. We went over the schedule. They, they they need to, you know, continue a, a bit of momentum running into this next month. They, they've got to really start running after it. So is it a deterrent? No. Uh, could it be a deterrent? Yes. And that's, you never want that.
0: So Tyler Heineman, uh, there, there was so back when I was before I joined Sportsend, I was mostly a Raptors writer, but I would chip in on Jays sometimes doing freelance stuff. Or when I worked at the Athletic, I would you know give Caitlin McGrath a weekend off or something sure. like that. And it became a running joke that I happened to be around the team and on the beat anytime a third string catcher got called up. So Uh like I wrote a big Luke Maley feature at one (laughs) point, a big Reese McGuire feature the first time he got called up. Uh, I'm curious, like, were I on the writing side right now? This is, this is my assignment. Tyler Heinemann's mine. There you go. Uh, I got dibs, but I'm curious your take. So this is a guy who he's been around a long time. He's almost 32. He's, you know, his baseball reference pages this long because of how much he's bounced around organizations at the minors and the major league level. But he only has 85 major league games. He only has two. He has fewer than 250 plate appearances at the major league level. How does a guy like that develop a reputation as a good game caller and a good defensive catcher when we've never really seen it much at the major league level other than, you know, two, three games at a time? Yes.
1: A lot of it can just be word of mouth. (laughs) You know, Uh, Tyler's a great guy. I played with him in Arizona in 2019. First off, he's a phenomenal magician. Like he's better at magic than he is baseball. I'm not joking. Like, you have got to, yes, if, he, if he's activated, if Danny Jansen does have to go on the aisle, like, this needs to be exposed in Toronto. This guy could have his own show. I'm not joking, in Las Vegas right now. okay, He's unbelievable. So, that all automatically elevates his game.
0: Well, I'd imagine know. the framing alone. <laughs> a pitch comes in over here, and then suddenly it's yeah, over here.
1: Right, right. so, uh, yeah, total magician behind the plate, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Great guy. And he does. He's He's been around. And even though the major league game is totally different than the minor league game, you can gain such valuable experience in the minor leagues, Um calling pitches, working different scenarios, being able to understand pitchers and how they work, all of that experience. It does matter. Yet, the best experience is major league experience because it is a different game. So... Heineman, yes, he can come up and do a fantastic job. Great guy. We'll fit in with the clubhouse immediately, and he does have history with the Jays. That always helps. Um, we'll, we'll be a good soldier, do whatever is asked of him. So it's not going to be that big of a deal. For me, it's more about Jansen having to hit the I.L. than what potentially problems Heinemann could bring. It's Danny Danny just it seems like every. Time the past couple years, he starts to really get going, and some sort of injury happens. I, I, f- I feel bad for him. So the last time Dalton Varsho came into a game as a catcher was July twenty fourth,
0: okay. uh, in a in a regular season game. Anyway, I don't. I know he was doing some work down at spring training, but not get it. He didn't. Sure. I don't think he got in any games He's young enough. He's athletic enough. Yeah. He can
1: hop back there. And you, totally you don't really have fine. a word like if no, they if they need to
0: no. like let's play out the snare. Jansen's only going to miss two days,
1: sure. so they don't need to activate Heineman. You, you could. Throw him back there in a pinch. Absolutely, there's no question. He he is very athletic and still young. You know, if, and now if this guy was 34 and hadn't caught in a couple of years and was. one squat away from blowing out a hamstring no he's incredibly athletic he could get back there put the gear on and be totally fine just a matter of figuring out the pitch calm i guess now yeah right i mean how these guys have adjusted so quickly i don't know i mean bassett has like eight pitches and he doesn't even look it's almost like braille down there yeah i I think it's impressive actually
0: yeah it's it's also there's a, a fascinating thing and this is maybe a conversation of its own but catchers in general and pitchers deserve some of the credit for this since we blame them when stolen bases happen stolen base attempts way way up and initially stolen base success rate way way up too but it's come back down to like a fairly normal level like pitchers and catchers have have figured out a little bit more how to uh, how to manage the this new running environment have you noticed that a little bit at all
1: oh yeah well look at the Jays. yeah Uh, you look at early on in the season Danny and and Kirk they they were not throwing very many guys out. And as as of late, they've thrown out quite a few guys. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I, I feel like it's a, a really successful rate, at least 50%. And Kirk especially. Kirk's thrown out probably at least four out of the last six that I can remember. But, yeah, a lot of it has to do with just them timing, learning that maybe it's not smart to go all the way down to one on the pitch timer and varying that. And using the timer is actually a really great way to – validate your looks if you're coming set at let's say eight and you pitch at six well you know that next time if you come set at eight and you pitch at three that's a three second hole difference than what you did the pitch before and it's not so much yes you have to be quick to the plate if you have a guy that's a 1.5 seconds to, to home plate that's an automatic kind of green light to Tell the runner, you've got a chance. We saw with Mike Bauman on Saturday, exactly. right? Exactly. The Jays ran all over him when yep. he came into the game. You've got a slow time. That's one thing. Most of these guys are going to have pretty decent time. So what what you're trying to do is vary the holds and vary the looks. And so when you have that timer, it gives you some validation if you know when you're throwing versus, oh, well, I came set. I think I held for a one count and then go. Now I'm going to hold for a three count, and it still was a one count. That timer can help you. And going down to zero – It kind of is in favor of the runner then because Mm -hmm. you're banking on them not making a move and you almost get like a free running start. So learning that up and down, that ebb and flow of not using the timer for the runner's advantage and actually using it for the pitcher's advantage is – I think it's starting to level out. It's been pretty fun to track
0: and and it, like success or thrown out like the the higher stolen base attempt environment it's is so fun. entertaining. It's yeah. fun
1: and that's that's what I love doing as a catcher and then as as my career like went on and on and on the stolen base attempts they just, it's like they disappeared and It's the funnest part of baseball, I think, between the triple is a stolen base attempt. But for some reason, the crowd, they absolutely love it. They get into it. And it's exciting watching a guy trying to steal a base. Yeah,
0: and especially now that you can't throw over eight times if a guy's going to – It's funny. I was talking to Keith Law of The Athletic yesterday talking about – and I asked him, like, how do we – how do we adjust how we're thinking about guys in the low minors or even guys in, in the draft in July? Now that stolen bases are way up. And he was like, well, we've always kind of like overvalued speed and then not asked the, guy, the fast guys to steal bases. Sure. So yeah. uh, we're correcting there. Um, so we talked about it. Danny Jansen, Tyler Heineman kind of beating around the bush a little bit here that Alejandro Kirk, you know, you mentioned the, the control of the running game has come up a little bit. He, he grades out as about average mm. overall with the running game uh, per some of the baseball savant stat cast metrics solid as a blocker, but his metrics when it comes to framing pitches have dropped off dramatically. He was one of the very best in the league last year. And this year he's come back down to being about average when it comes to framing pitches. Um, what have you noticed in that regard and where would you like to see him grow on the defensive side, obviously the offensive side we could get into as well, sure. um, but just behind the plate, what are you seeing from Kirk in terms of, you know, positioning and setting up and not being able to steal as many strikes for his guys?
1: Yeah. This is such a sticky subject. Some of it has to do with who you're drawing in terms of home plate umpires. I don't think people talk enough about that. A lot of your draw can really throw your game off. If you have a pitcher friendly guy back there and he's having a good game on the corners, your your numbers can skyrocket really quick. And if you have a, a hitter friendly guy back there, you could be doing so many things right and not get calls. So that is probably the biggest factor <clears throat> no doubt about it is who's behind the plate what i do see though from kirk is i see a little bit less mobility and fluidity as the the pitch is coming so a little bit more of a stagnant um target and if the ball is you know outside of the shoulders it's just basically the glove is moving to go get it where in years past i feel like if the if the ball was a little bit outside of the shoulder line, he was making some slight body movements to help kind of center that ball with his body. Um, it's hard. I know you can't see me right now, but... Some people can. We're, yeah. we're simulcast just on sports having, at 360, too. Having, so. this, having a little bit of body movement uh, with your glove, it, it, it allows that ball visually for the umpire to, to look like it's more in the center of your plate. And nobody's setting up, well, for the most part, nobody's setting up four inches outside so (laughs) that that really helps I do feel like his glove is moving way more than it has in terms of the catch and kind of the pull we've seen this quite a bit on some of these inside pitches I think there was a couple pitches with with uh, with Bassett maybe two or three starts ago uh, that he had a couple inside sinkers that weren't called ended up turning into a four run inning and a lot of these pitches are are on the corner, and it's just it's a massive move. It's it's a catch and a huge pull. And you know, I, some of the best guys that are, are framers in the big leagues, I talked to them, and I said, you know, w- what are you thinking when you're trying to frame? And they say short, little two inch movements, mm-hmm. short two inch movements. You know, just tiny little movements. And I think everybody now is trying to pull all these pitches that guy, guys behind them are not they're not they're not falling for it well, anymore.
0: Yeah, if I if I'm an umpire. I'm thinking, like, like first of all, it's it's obvious that you're doing it, right? Like, it's noisy. But also, like, are, are you, do you think I'm an idiot? Like, it, it, are you trying to pull a pitch five, six inches? Like, that That's that shouldn't be something that goes unnoticed, you know, unless the Heinemann magic again. But <laughs> um, you, you mentioned the umpires, though, and the draw. How much of your prep as a catcher heading into a game was looking at the tendencies of the home plate umpire? Yeah. Was that
1: something that factored in? Once you get enough time you know who's who and building a repertoire is still massively important too. I I, I still believe that you knowing the guy behind you and knowing his tendencies, knowing where he's from and talking to him and having conversation. I feel like that helps. And it takes a certain personality to be able to do that because they're all different too, but they're still humans. And I felt like that was a huge part of kind of why I got pitches was being able to say, Hey, where do you have that pitch? I've got it two inches off, it's a, it's a ball. But Hey, if, if, if I presented a different way, what do you think? And I'm going to tell you the story. I had Paul Emmel, 2019. I was with the Arizona Diamondbacks and I had been kind of a traditional setup guy, not one knee, no big pull movements. They wanted me to be more of a Tyler flowers, one knee, huge pull movements, trying to frame pitches. Paul Emmel, I had had him a bunch in spring training a couple of years back and really got a relationship with him. First inning of the game, I'm set up two inches outside. Ball is right on my target, and I do the whole, you know, pow, and I grab it and move it towards the middle, and he balls it. Very next pitch, same pitch, one inch outside. I, I snag it and make that big, you know, that big framing movement, pocket it, and then move it right to the middle, ball. And I turn back and I said, okay, Paul, like, what's going on? He said, you keep doing that snatch and stuff. I'm not going to call it. I said, oh, Okay. Wow. After two pitches, I went back to traditional stance. I went two inches outside. I set the glove normally like I have been in years past. He set, hit me right in the middle of the glove, two inches outside. I didn't move it. Ha! Strike one. <laughs> so that's a, that's a true story, that, and that just shows not all umpires are like that, but some umpires are starting to catch on. So I think going back to Kirk, I think if he can move a little bit more with his body, try and be a little bit more athletic, try and center the ball, and if he can have a little shorter, quicker movements with his glove little one to two inch movements instead of taking a ball that's outside and moving it all the way back to the middle of the zone i think you might start to have a little bit more success
0: i know i've got to let you go here because you've got blue jay central i'm going to come down and join you guys around Yeah, around yeah yeah i've got a couple hours to go still um but uh alec manoa I mean, a bit of a step forward Saturday. Still not electric stuff, but uh, you know, the thing that stood out to me was at least when he got to two strikes, he was more effective. He'd been losing so many guys when he got to two strikes in a sure. count. Um, what's the the primary thing you're looking for from Alec Manoa today or, or that you'll be talking about on Blue Jay Central at 1230? No walks.
1: Okay. Stop walking people. I think that's been a huge killer for him. And why is he walking, guys? I, for me, when your best pitch isn't working and you know it's not working, you start thinking, uh-oh, Oh, no. And you get a little bit tentative. I mean, imagine taking Connor McDavid's speed away from him. He would still be a good player, but if you took away that number one best attribute, yeah. guys kind of go into panic mode. Uh, and so what happens is you, you're not as comfortable or as confident with your fastball, even your changeup. Now you have to start nibbling before you know it. You walk walking a guy here, walk a guy there. Then the double kills you. So I thought he did a nice job. I think he only walked one guy in his last start. He did a nice job of doing that, and that's you know he only gave up two runs, so it wasn't great, wasn't fantastic, but because he didn't put guys on with the free pass, he was able to limit damage. I think he's got to establish the fastball, which I think is huge for him. If 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 it's Kirk back there and he asks him to do too much too early, fastball slider slider changeup fastball in all different directions, I think he's going to struggle. What I, what I liked about what Danny did with him last start was he. Really tried to establish that fastball a la Jose Barrios. It's worked for him. And then get him in the right spot hand position wise where that slider comes out well and the changeup has good downward action. So pretty simple. Uh, Don't walk anybody and establish the fastball. Yeah, there you
0: go. And don't get two mound visits in the same inning oh, cuz then you got to yeah, come back Great of the game. point. Great point. <laughs> Everyone I, I don't shocked. think that was him. I think that was uh that yeah. was a bench snafu Uh Caleb Joseph, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Uh people can get more from you Blue Jay Central all the time lately, but uh 12:30 today on uh the Sports Side channel. Thanks you so much. You got man.
1: it. Yeah, thanks Blake.
0: Uh we're going to take a break here. When we come back, uh MLB Networks Brian Kenny is going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about um the You know, I talked to Brian Kenny back in like 2012, I think, when I was doing the Beyond the Box Score podcast and talking about like how Sabermetrics or analytics were first starting to come into broadcast. And now I've got someone like Caleb beside me who's on Blue Jay Central every day referencing edge percentage and StatCast page and stuff like that. We'll talk a little bit about that growth. Uh, In the second hour, we'll have Robert Flores on. Uh, as well but the big the big name today other than Caleb Travis Snyder joining us at 11 o'clock as well uh, he's playing in the Hall of Fame Classic in Hoop, in Cooperstown this weekend uh, the the MLB Legends game on Saturday so we'll talk to him uh, as well Brian Kenny joins us next though as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 the fan and Sports at 360.
2: The best Blue Jays show out there period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That song is uh, by Des Money, who's a family friend of our next guest. Host of MLB Now on MLB Network from noon to 1 p.m.
3: each day. It's Brian Kenny. Brian, how are you, man? Wow, Des Money. That's Deep Eddie Money's kid. I, I didn't expect that. Well done, Blake. Yeah, you
0: got to put a little research in. You know, I, I know that you are uh, kind of <laughs> tangentially family friends with the Money family, so you know we, we sprinkle a little bit in. You know,
3: that's awesome. Uh, Ed, for people who don't know, it's just, it, it, people don't know this, <laughs> um, right? Eddie Money's father and my father were partners in the 108th precinct in New York City.
0: Unreal, what a connection to have. Um, that's awesome. Uh, Brian, thanks for, thanks for joining me this morning. I know you got your show noon to one. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but back in like 2012, so I, I, most of my career I have been on the, the Raptors beat, but I kind of started on on the baseball analytics side and now on the Jay side back in like 2012 ish, I was hosting the beyond the box score podcast. Um, and you know, we, we crossed paths a little bit, not never in person, but at the time it, it was so, It it was very, very cool to see you on TV because you were one of the few people in baseball media who could talk conversationally about, you know, quote-unquote sabermetrics or analytics and make that a part of a regular broadcast. And now I'm sitting here in 2023, I just had Caleb Joseph next to me in the first segment, and he's on a lot of our Blue Jays TV broadcasts. And it's just... Assumed that someone in that position now will know how to work their way around a StatCast page, will reference things like edge percentage. Um, how cool has it been for you over the last decade, decade plus, to see that kind of growth and acceptance of more advanced measures in general baseball broadcasts and, and analysis?
3: Yeah, it has come a long way. It's amazing. There, there, there's still resistance to different things. Uh, we've kind of changed where, we're, where we resist new information, but uh, I sometimes, I'm, when I'm getting ready for my show, I'll see Mark DeRosa on MLB Central, and he'll be out there, and he's pointing to full screens going, look at his chase percentage. <laughs> you know, Look at his plate discipline. Look, I'm like, I'm thinking, that's what I was doing on Clubhouse Confidential. Like, these are the exact things like, and, and it was wonky back then, and it seemed weird, and seemed like, well, you're doing a statistics class. And now the players do this. Like, this is where the game is won, like in controlling the strike zone. How often do you chase? How often do you make contact? How often do you swing when the pitch is in the zone? Like, how much how much damage do you do when you do get a pitch to hit? Uh, and the players have embraced it because that's how you make money. Uh, this is how you maximize your performance. So Sabermetrics did start uh, with this kind of wide you know, view from 30,000 feet, we used to say, right? Like what is – don't you know? Don't get lost looking at the trees. See the forest. Now it's very much in the trees. Now you're looking at the bark. Now you're looking at the small details, and that's where the players are. And you're right. It's just part of the, the nomenclature now. Now it is just – it's accepted that you'll be speaking this way where it was very wonky and nerdy, you know, maybe 10 years ago
0: and so much of it is in how communication grows where none of the stuff you you just used as examples you know you go back to the 70s or 80s like players knew that it was probably bad to swing at more pitches outside of the zone and it was probably good if you were a pitcher if you could put it on the black all the time but now we have you know easier shorthand and ways to quantify that Um, that those are areas that we've done a lot better I'm curious Brian when you look around at how we treat these things now and and the, the conversations we have around it where are some areas we uh, as a baseball media can continue to improve you know in in great or um, integrating stats into broadcasts and things like that or or making these things more conversational and accessible like what is our next step as kind of uh, a baseball media
3: you know I think that the best step is always just to have an honest logical inquiry ask the questions and then look for answers don't get don't become an ideologue with numbers either. I'll frequently see numbers or I'll, see it and I'll say, yeah, but I'm seeing something different. What am I seeing? Perhaps, uh, as Bill James often says, perhaps we lack the language for what we're seeing, but it's real. And that's a lot of old school things. Uh, I do a thing on my show now on MLB Now called Cut of Jib Index. <laughs> right? it's like, it's, and I often say, look, and it, it's kind of like baseball makeup. But it's, uh, I always say um, it's hard to measure, but you know it when you see it. And that a lot of that is this reliability. How often are you playing? Can you play through injuries? Do you come back quickly from injuries? Um, Do you take a different approach with two strikes? Do you understand the situation when it's first and third that maybe don't swing for a home run here? Maybe we need a fly ball, maybe a ground ball to the right side, something like, like Anthony Rizzo. We'll see like Anthony Rizzo of the Yankees has a high cut of jib index (laughs) because he's seemingly doing the right thing at the right time. And it, it doesn't, really translate perfectly into statistics, but just, you know, be aware that there's other things happening on the field. And look, there's, there's a corollary to the outside world beyond sports. Don't get stuck on, oh, it's the science. Oh, it's the data. Well, what do you mean? What is the science? What is the data? What is it saying? Are you looking at the right studies? Uh, now question how, how deep was this study? So just have questions. That's what it's about. Question. It. Just don't accept things mindlessly.
0: Yeah, the cut of jib is a great one on on the basketball side. It's dog per thirty six. Do you have that dog in you? And how much of that dog in you do you have? Jimmy Butler, obviously, right now being uh, being the best example. Or I'm sure you could go to the NHL and a Matthew Kachuk example where he's scoring an overtime goal or, or a goal with four seconds left uh, before overtime uh, every night. There there is a, a really real element to that, and I, I have a lot of fun. You know, dog per thirty six or cut of jib index. Um, you know, those are things that we're not supposed to be able to to quantify it and that's what that's kind of where the magic is of like hey this is what we can measure and this is what we expect but this is what actually happens and that kind of magic is in the in-between um brian i want to go back to something you said so you you did a a, a talk um, at the 2021 Sabre, uh, Sabre conference, or, or maybe it was just a digital one. But for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Sabre is Society for American Baseball Research. Uh, their conferences are always, you know, cutting edge in terms of new baseball research. Uh, we had... Um, yeah. Tampa Bay Rays general manager, Peter Bendix on the show earlier in the week. And he told us about how, you know, his, his career really took off when he went to a Sabre conference here in Toronto and and presented some stuff. So um, it's an, it's an important group and they're important conferences. Um, You said something in 2021, that I want to pick in on a little bit because of some of the changes we've seen in baseball. And what you said is that, and I'm paraphrasing here, but smart winning baseball doesn't always align with the entertainment product. However, we have seen some rule changes this year that have made the product more entertaining. And I'm curious from a entertainment versus um, you know, best baseball strategy standpoint, how much fun are you having with the increased stolen base environment and what are we learning so far with
3: it? Oh, no question. This is a, this is a huge year um, for a lot of reasons. One, One will be that, um, a couple of things here. One, I, I've said I was just mentioning this to my daughter because she's not watching a ton of baseball yet this season, and I said this is what I describe as, you know, why don't they do something? You know how there's always a they, and whether it's government or your boss or a baseball league or a football league, why don't they do something about it? I said no, they just did something about this. <laughs> they it took a few years. The players didn't want it. There was resistance, but they just did it and it's great so i said what do we gripe about now (laughs) because it's like well this is great and i already see columns out there blake about people saying well we tripped 36 minutes off the game but strikeouts are still very high i'm like hold on a second (laughs) except one great thing that happened like, oh yeah but this oh but the ball's not in play okay hold on let's corral one thing at a time 36 minutes per game is off i mean come on the game is and it changed the way i'm watching games i i now have to uh, totally changed the way I watched baseball. I was like everybody else, multitasking like crazy watching a ball game. I'm in, I'm in my kitchen. I'm getting food. I'm doing notes. I'm looking at emails. Now, I, how many times have I looked up and I say, hey, I missed that at bat. What happened? Oh, it wasn't judge up. What happened? And, and you know, hey, the, the inning's over. What happened? You have to retrain and say, wait, wait, this is happening right now. Game is faster, like the one I grew up watching, and I've had to retrain myself. So this is great. Let's not, like, get past that. This is great. They fixed it, and it should embolden us to look at most things and say, hey, this isn't working. You, you know, get over the inertia. Don't accept it. Change it. Yeah, it's
0: a, it's a great point, and the history of baseball, especially the early history of baseball, is rich with making changes. Mound height, mound distance, uh, the ball makeup, all sorts of things ha- have changed. Way back. Over- yeah. Way back, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like, uh, you know, sometimes it gets framed as, well, a new a new group is coming to do this. No, baseball has always wanted to be a, a better version uh, of itself. I will say, though, there's one thing that I would like to change, and I don't know how we change it, but our pal, Sarah Langs of MLB, um, tweeted out a stat the other day that uh, the highest d- winning percentage outside of the division for a division in history heading into this year during the sixth division era was 577. So, uh, you know, imagine the AL East beating up on all the other teams at a 577 win rate. As of a couple of days ago, that was up around 660 this year. Brian, have, can you think of like have you ever seen anything like just how good the American League East has been to start this year?
3: <sighs> wow, probably not to this level. There's usually, and this is it's kind of a a, a market dynamic. It's an economic dynamic too, because um, maybe that's changing a little bit with uh, an extra playoff team that there are six, but. Um, there you know very recently this was really kind of the the cubs and the astros who you know showed the way it is to tear it down do a rebuild uh i'll even describe it with the dodgers this year the rogers the the dodgers are um they're kind of a there's a a term vince Gennaro of saber uses uh refueling the airplane while it's flying (laughs) (laughs) and it's Difficult to do. The Dodgers are threading that needle right now. They're trying to stay excellent, but they're kind of taking their foot off the accelerator. Um, So usually there's one team in the division that's doing that whole hog. They're rebuilding. They're at the bottom like the A's are now and saying, hey, we're we're just not going to be any good. We know it. Uh, the Nationals were rebuilding. And then there's a team maybe like Miami that's like, hey, we're not that good yet, but we're trying, but we're not really loaded up or we don't spend a lot of money, whatever it is. It's rare to have everybody, everybody in your division with the foot on the accelerator and peaking at the same time and driving with with, um, you know, with momentum toward the top and that's what we're seeing now even like the red Sox are trying but they look like they're not trying as hard as the other clubs they're still good but they've kind of been outpaced and outspent by teams that have more you know institutional momentum uh but no i've never seen it a division that didn't have somebody you could beat up usually there's somebody rebuilding that's just like no we're not competing like this now it's rare to have everybody going for it
0: and look, the American League East, everyone has a winning record. Everyone has a positive run differential. But the team that the rest of the division has been beating up on lately is the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they're 2-12 and 12 in their last 14 against American League East opponents. Uh, eight of their last 10 they've dropped overall, and that's all against division opponents. The 20-1 to one victory uh, from Tuesday notwithstanding, uh, what are you seeing with the Blue Jays right now? What are you not liking with with the, the type of baseball they're playing and the struggles the last couple of weeks?
3: Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it's, it, it's a powerhouse club. Uh, we're actually talking to Kevin Kiermaier today. Kiermeyer's nice. having a great year. Um, Dalton Varsha is not hitting yet, so those are the two defensive outfielders that they got. I still like those moves. Uh, maybe you're still missing Lourdes Guriel. I get it. He's hitting very well for Arizona. But I like the moves um, when they happened. I don't dislike them now. Kiermeyer's 10 in defensive run saved. Still handle the position. Um, I, lo- you know, I kind of love your team. Um, I- I'd have to watch them day in, day out to see what's not quite happening here. Because the pitching looks deep enough. Um, your hitting should be explosive. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. Your defense just got better, so it could be just right. Degree of difficulty in the schedule. It's small sample size. I would ex- still. I, I very much expect this to be a playoff team. I'd be stunned if it didn't happen.
0: Yeah, me too. And it would change the dynamic of this show in October. Certainly, if they're uh, if they're not. Um, Brian, last one for you before we let you go. I know you got a show to prep for, um, and, and let's. I was going to keep it American League East. I know the Orioles have this big, uh, you know, gap with their actual record and their Pythag record, but because we have new champions of run differential in, in baseball, I'll just ask, uh, how much are you believing in the Texas Rangers as legitimate title contenders
3: in the AL West? Hmm. I mean, division contenders, I'm not completely sold, but they're pretty good. Um, and their basic production is good. If you have an excellent Marcus Simeon and an excellent and healthy Corey Seager that's playing, they're going to be pretty good. I think they're a little out ahead of their skis. They've already shown they are a team, you know, they are a team that you kind of expected Toronto to be, meaning they will pummel you on certain days, right? Uh, Which Toronto just did, but you, they are a team. They'll have a lot of, Hey, they beat them 16 to three. They they just lit you up. I think they're overperforming a bit. Um, at the end of the season, I would ex- still expect the Astros to take that division.
0: All right. Well, that's uh, it also makes the the playoff race a little tougher where it's possible the American League East gets four teams in there, but a couple teams in the AL West uh, might have something to say about it. Brian Kenny, thanks mm-hmm. so much for taking the time out, man. Uh, have a great show today. Have a great chat with Kevin Kiermaier on MLB now uh, in the noon to 1 p.m. hour.
3: All right, Blake. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Brian Kenny. Of MLB now on MLB network again, they'll have Kevin Kiermeyer uh, on that program today. Kevin Kiermeyer, by the way, one of five lefties in the lineup for the Blue Jays today. It is without question the most bizarre Toronto Blue Jays lineup that you have seen this season. Uh, that is in some part because it's a getaway day. Danny Jansen is, has not been put on the IL yet. But he's obviously not in the lineup today. Shy Davidi reporting from down in Tampa that Tyler Heineman is there. Uh, he is on the taxi squad for right now in case an IL stint is required for Danny Jansen. But for today, uh, Dalton Varsho would figure in as the backup catcher or emergency catcher as needed. Uh, again, five lefties in the lineup. Which, if you know who the Blue Jays lefties are, that's a bit of a, a bit of an odd one. Also, a bit of an odd one in that. Zach Efflin isn't really that heavy of a split guy. Now, so far this year, I I'm not a huge believer in over a large sample, most guys being um, having the potential to be split neutral as pitchers or, or sorry, reverse splits so far this year. That is what Zach Eflin is. He, he's had some reverse splits early on. Um, but if you look back historically in his career, uh, he's a, he's about what you'd expect more often than not. Lefties are going to hit him better than righties do. We'll tee up those matchups a little bit more detail Um, later in the show, heading into the game, because we're on until 12, the game's at 1 o'clock. But if you're curious, the lineup today reads Bo Bichette at the top because George Springer's getting a day off, Uh, Dalton Varshow hitting second, Vlad, Brandon Belt, Matt Chapman, Nathan Lucas hitting sixth, Alejandro Kirk seventh and then Kevin Kiermeyer and Kevin Biggio ran it out uh, I was not kidding that this is one of the weirdest Toronto Blue Jays lineups uh, you've seen so far this year and probably will see we'll see how it works behind Alec Manoa up against Zach Eflin starting at one o'clock before we take a break and get to Travis Snyder I guess I'm very excited about uh, it's a beautiful day out there it's been a beautiful couple days uh, maybe you're thinking hey what's When does Budweiser stage open? Well, it opened this week. And Beck and Phoenix are co-headlining Budweiser stage on September 3rd as part of their summer Odyssey tour. We've been giving away tickets all week long to enter. All you have to do is tune into Jay's Talk Plus today, tomorrow, listen for the code word, and then text that code word to 590-590. Today's code word is after midnight. So, text after midnight to 590, 590 to enter for your chance to win. Uh, if you don't win today, listen again tomorrow, giving away another pair. And if you don't win at all, make sure you go to ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. Beck and Phoenix, Bud Stage, September 3rd, has me, uh, all this Bud Stage talk this week with the giveaway and it opening up has me looking at, you know, when my first Bud Stage show of the summer is. I think it's June 16th. My pals and pup opening for Alexis on fire. Mets on that card as well, uh, but no shortage of, uh, of fun events at Bud's stage still can't believe uh ludicrous opening for Janet Jackson on opening night at Bud's stage the other day. And Vin Diesel comes out on stage. I I'm not joking. I can't believe uh, that I missed that. Um, at least the blue Jays won 20 to one that day. Uh, we'll see if the blue Jays can uh, win today and even up this series. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back on Jays talk plus though, we're joined by former blue Jay. He'll be representing the blue Jays at the hall of fame classic in Cooperstown this weekend. Meets don't clash. Travis Snyder joins us next on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360.
2: Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jazz Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That music can only mean that, that Travis Snyder is getting close to hitting. Travis Snyder joins us now. He's down. He's going to be down in Cooperstown uh, for the 2023 Hall of Fame Classic. The Legends game goes tomorrow. He'll be hitting sixth, playing left field. Travis Snyder, thanks so much for joining us, man. How's it going?
4: It's going great, Blake. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, so you're, not, you're sixth on the lineup card on, on Team Burt. Uh, how do you how do you feel about that? I don't, I don't know. I might have you ahead of, of Greg Garcia and Jorge Cantu. Are uh, you upset with the manager at all here?
4: You know, it's funny. I didn't even know the lineup was posted yet. I (laughs) thought we were going to get that lineup the morning, uh, the morning of the game. So I guess I'll just have to deal with the disappointment of hitting six, even though I spent the bulk of my career down towards the end of the order there. So I'm used to it.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, it should be, uh, it should be a lot of fun. Um, How did, how did your involvement in this game come about? I I know, you know, they try to have a representative from, from every team and alumni from every team. Uh, How did it come about that you're the blue Jays rep for the hall of fame classic?
4: I've maintained a line of communication with the Blue Jays alumni uh, staff, and, and they've been great at getting me up there for a few events last year. And this opportunity came up last year, and my son's birthday is actually on Monday. So I wasn't able to do it last year and, and wanted to get there this year, uh, able to fly back and still be here for his birthday. So everything worked out great.
0: Perfect. How old is he turning?
4: He's turning four. So we got four, six, and almost two. So we got a busy household here.
0: You do have a busy household. And I think I saw you tweet the other day. You're coaching your, your oldest? in baseball yes, now?
4: coaching yeah. uh, coach pitch. It's, it's been a blast just watching these kids, their faces light up when they make a catch. That ball goes in their glove. I don't think there's any cooler moment for a parent or a coach to see those eyes just go crazy.
0: I was talking to Ricky Romero recently as well about his, you know, this is his first spin coaching his kids as well. Um, I mean, I know you haven't been out of the game very long. You know, you were playing last in 2021, but how much is something like that getting to, you know, coach your kids and see the, the kids excitement and stuff like that. Just reaffirm your love for the game for you.
4: Yeah, I think brings it back to the glory days for us as kids as you start making friends and putting together the teams that you end up playing with for 10, 15 years if you're lucky. So I see my son's group of friends, and they're just a great group of parents. We've got coaches that are helping out. So it brings a community aspect that I had a lot of as a child and very fond memories that I hope to not force my memories and my experiences on my kids, but provide them with an opportunity to go out there with their best friends and play a game and have fun doing it.
0: That's a, uh, that's, that's great, man. That's uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like it'd be very rewarding. Um, I do want to ask you about some of your memories though. So you, you were back here wildcard weekend. You mentioned you've stayed in touch with the, the blue Jays alumni organization. Um, what was that like for you? I, I mean, I know you're, you remain very well received in in the city of Toronto and among Jays fans uh, and that outcome was not necessarily what anyone was hoping for, but um, how was that
4: weekend for you last year? I got paid to watch playoff baseball, to be totally <laughs> honest with you. So it was it was pretty pretty amazing. Uh, and they've given me tons of opportunities over the years to do things. And I was just grateful that it's the Seattle Mariners, a team I grew up watching, playing the Toronto Blue Jays. I wish we would have gone to Game 3. I wish there would have been a little bit more action on the Jays' side. But I think overall, just getting that experience, you know, being one year out of the game, uh, still being able to stay connected to it, and then getting up there and getting to see guys like Ricky and Edwin and, and other guys that were there throughout the time that uh, I was able to spend you know, a few days and, and revisit some of those memories of my time there in my young 20s and all the pressure and anxiety that I was carrying around and just to see the city in a different light man, and not worry about if people recognize you or what, you, what your batting average is or what you did the night before. And if somebody's going to say something to you, it was really a... A, a full circle experience for me and, and something I'm grateful for those opportunities to go back. Cause I love the city of Toronto and, and the, the fans of Canada have just been so supportive of me over the years.
0: I'm really glad you got to do that. And I remember around that time you had a, a really thoughtful and touching Twitter thread uh, about that experience uh, as well. And you've spoken openly since you, you left the game about wanting to help players with the mental side of things, particularly with, you know, how do we deal with failure? What does that look like as you're coming up through the minors or, or when you first reached the majors. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, Obviously, you know, you've shared your experience, but, but how do you think that, you know, you sharing your experience can help the next generation of players who might go through something similar?
4: Yeah. I mean, I'm, found out about a year ago i was diagnosed with complex ptsd which is a a product of a lot of things that have happened uh, in my personal life but also you know if you look at my career there was a lot of ups and downs and i think what i've learned throughout this process is not just to be a victim right but to really understand what has happened in the past and how that uh, can affect the present and the future and we learn in sports psychology and working with some of the best you know in that field how to really perform on the field and overcome some of those things but what I've learned and going back to kind of the roots of coach pitch and T-ball and seeing where some of these things really start to get implemented in kids' brains as far as their identity. of If I'm a baseball player, do I play baseball? And I think that was something i talked about a little bit in the thread and in a few other interviews where – I just realized how much of my love that I craved and looked to receive was through the game of baseball. And that's something that, as my partner and I are launching a new company, I'll have more information for you guys over the next month or two, but we're really going out and hoping to – provoke the conversation with parents and coaches and how can we better support these athletes at the youngest age groups right the, the hockey players the baseball players the soccer players that are getting pushed into this culture of what are you ranked in the state and uh, you know how many games is your team playing at eight U, nine U, and it's just it's become something where I feel like we put too much pressure on our kids to go out there and have to perform and achieve things instead of giving them a chance to actually experience the game and start to cultivate a healthy relationship with it.
0: Well, Travis, I, I'm, uh, of course, sorry that, you know, that's your diagnosis and that's been your your lived experience. But I think it's in- incredible that you and your partner are able to, you know, turn that around and try to use your experience to make sure that, you know, the next generation of players and kids don't have to go through that. And, and, you know, growing up in hockey culture here in Canada, you know, I think that that probably resonates with a lot of people, even if they didn't play baseball at a high level, because, you know, that's a, you know, that's that's not just a part of your your individual Uh, identity here that's part of your your nationality and and identity uh here as well so um excited really excited to to hear more about that please do uh keep us updated and we'll share that um with listeners when you look back at your own career um are are there any moments that you know you've you've reflected on where hey with with the benefit of what you know now and what you've learned and what you've been able to glean through sports psychology and your own just personal learning um certain moments or, or situations that you think could have turned out different had you been you know better equipped with the kind of the kind of perspective and mental education that you're talking about
4: absolutely and I, and I think there's a, a part of it that just has to come with experience right but there there also is a part of it where Getting sent down, I've talked about that. The first time I ever got sent down was the first time I was not good enough to play on a team. And that was something that was my ego was not prepared to handle, right? Everybody's like, oh, were you ready to play in the major leagues? I think statistically I showed I could I could physically go out there and perform with the best. But when the mental side of things caught up to me, the emotional side of things that I had just kind of been able to bury through all my off-the-field stuff that I was dealing with and use baseball as my, my outlet, um, when that was kind of taken away from me, or at least I felt like in that moment it was taken away from me instead of being able to zoom out as a 21-year-old kid and say, hey, get another 10 or 15 years to get this thing figured out. At that time, I was so consumed in what I felt like was my my path, my trajectory, my, my purpose was to be a franchise player for the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, am I going to retire as a Blue Jay, right? I want to be up in that ring of excellence with my boy Jose and, and Edwin Encarnacion and these guys that I got a chance to play with. And <clears throat> that's just where I learned after the fact is we get ahead of ourselves, right, just as human beings, professional athletes there 's media, social media, expectations, our own expectations, our family, our friends, so you 're balancing a lot and being able to simplify all that and and really just focus on the process of perfecting your craft and not putting all of your eggs in that basket of saying i 'm a major league baseball player that 's who i am that 's what I do, and that 's all I care about right and that 's the balance I think that you see high-level professionals, whether they're athletes or they're lawyers or they're just peak performance in whatever industry they're in, it's a tough balance to maintain, especially when you start to bring in family um, and kids and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, this is stuff I was going through as a single guy in my 20s, just trying to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other once somebody finally kind of shook my world and turned it upside down. But again, looking back on it, the world didn't end. I woke up the next day, the world kept spinning, right? And that's what we as human beings start to project these things before they even happen. And I think just learning how to stay present, but also be able to acknowledge the things that you've experienced in your life and how that might be affecting your reactions or your decision-making. And, and I think that's just part of growing up. It's part of learning. It's something that I'm really passionate about um, and hope to you know, help other parents that are going through what I'm going through right now. Is How do you provide your six- and three- and two-year-old kid with A a safe environment to go out and play sports, and then cultivate the strong, resilient, high character kids that we want to, you know, we want to praise for all the right reasons and give them all the opportunities in the world to go achieve things without the feeling like I have to be this person, I have to achieve this degree or this profession, otherwise, I'm not going to be worth anything.
0: Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. And, and, you know, we can do things like like in Canada, for example, you know, May is Mental Mental Health Awareness Month. So, you know, a great trigger point to have some of these conversations. And there are certain days throughout the year where people have it. But what you're talking about is fundamentally shifting the culture from a very young age around how do we balance you know self-worth in sport and why we're playing sport and i I think it's huge again i'm really looking forward to hearing more and reading more about what you and your partner are are doing around that um i you mentioned jose batista there so i'm gonna lighten it up a little bit and and i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of zoom back and take you know some of your time with the blue jays here Uh, i guess first are are there any of the the guys from your era the blue jays that, that you remain close with
4: yeah, I mean Ricky, Ricky and I still talk tons of trash on, uh, you know, DMs and text messages, and we we're swapping our our little league uh, practice plans <laughs> and giving each other advice on that. So, Ricky, uh, you know, I still talk to JP. I still talk to Casey Jansen once in a while. Scott Richmond, I think he's gonna be swinging by on his way up to BC. So. And then Brett Laurie and Adam Lowen live in the area. I don't see him as much as I wish I would, but still stay connected with the boys. Um, you know, saw Vernon last year up there, saw Edwin, so I mean still have good relationships, but the way baseball works, man, you play long enough, you you meet a new group of guys every year, and, and you hope that the ones that are special to you, and, and I went through a lot with those guys, so there's definitely a bond there that whether we talk every day or, or once a year, it's still tight.
0: The Ricky one stands out to me just because I, I've had similar conversations with him about the mental side and, and how we could, you know, better handle players on their way up or, or at a young level, but but it also strikes me just because I know uh, the Niners and the Seahawks play twice in like a like a fourteen day span or something like that this season, so I'd imagine your, your trash talk with him would reach another level around that time, eh?
4: Yeah, I've had to back down a little bit. I had a great run going there for about eight years. A lot of free dinners paid for by Ricky. Uh, A lot of non-responses. He ghosted me a few times because I went for the throat and I buried him. So looking forward to uh, a couple of matchups this year. Hopefully the Seahawks can um, continue to push forward and, and get better. And, and the 49ers can take a step back. Cause they've been, they've been getting out there a little bit on us and we need to slow them
0: down. Yeah. but I mean, you guys made out so well in the Russell Wilson trade though. So you you're, you're looking pretty good. The extra first round pick and everything you, you'll be all right. Um I know th- this isn't just Ricky, but I, I know a bunch of you guys from that era, fancy yourselves, uh, pretty good golfers as well. And I, I know that's something you post about a bunch. How, how does your game rank among that crew of, of XJs that you might golf with sometimes?
4: let's go ahead and back that up and say I never said I was a good golfer I love golf I'm a 14 (laughs) handicap I can shoot you know mid to upper 80s on one day and shoot 105 the next so this isn't about being a good golfer i I had an opportunity to invest in an indoor golf facility here which was awesome just to go in and get a bunch of work in this winter like i would on my baseball swing i could just translate it to golf and focus that energy and time so it's something i learned a lot about i've become very passionate about golfing i like to go play on really nice golf courses and probably spend too much money doing that if Mm -hmm. you ask my wife but i'm actually putting in the work behind the scenes and i'm not posting you know low scores yet but i feel like i'm i got a good process a good coach and and a good team around me and we're just going to keep pushing and maybe maybe someday i'll make it to the pga tour
0: (laughs) all right that's a very uh a very polished athlete uh answer um so (laughs) in in looking back on on your jays time uh one thing that always stands out to me is like maybe maybe this is just the age that i i am and and where my jays fandom was at that point but I, I do kind of associate that era of jersey with you and, and Ricky, the the black jersey with the you know the toothpaste blue j or whatever you want to call it. Um, all these baseball teams have been rolling out city connect jerseys with you know throwbacks or, or nods to their history or the city or whatever. What would you think of when the Jays roll theirs out? There's like a Travis Snyder era of jersey touch to it. Like, would you like to see that logo and that color scheme come back as an alternate jersey
4: at all? Yeah, you know, I like the the current logo because it's got the old school feel, but it's new school. And then we had the powder blue. I don't know if you remember back mm-hmm. then. It was the powder blue Tuesdays, and the boys were not a fan of putting those uniforms on. They didn't have buttons, so if you had a little bit of a soft midsection like I did at the time, <laughs> you could see it. You couldn't hide that thing behind your belt, so anything with buttons. And I think, you know, going back further, I like the older Jays logos better than the, the toothpaste J as you called it. But again, if they're going to roll out, you know, to honor me and Ricky, that would be just amazing. <laughs> you know
0: what I mean? um, all right. Um, I, I know, you know, you're not, you're not in it every single day, but, but have you been able to check out much of this year's blue Jays squad? And what do you mean? A bit of a, a rough stretch right now, um, but you saw this team pretty closely in the wild card last year. It's most of the same pieces. Uh, what do you make of this year's team?
4: Uh, what I make of it is for the media and the fans to just take a couple big deep breaths because you got 100 and something games left. I think it's game 50 now. I know it's been a tough 10 game stretch, but if you look at it in 10 game stretches, you got 16 of those over 160 games, and you're going to have another four and six or three and seven or two and eight. Um, and it's how you manage that Uh, inside the clubhouse right the fans and and the media you guys do your job and and cheer cheer them on and boom if you need to but understand that it's a long season there's going to be another one of these slides in a month or two Um, and it's on the boys in that clubhouse and john and, and that staff which i think are great guys uh to really rally around each other insulate the clubhouse because it gets tough man you start getting down the stretch and the newspaper and the media and it, you really got to put the walls up and just stay focused on what you can control and, and I think knowing John as well as I do Um, And some of the guys on that team that I had a chance to play with or or see over the years, um, I I expect them as professionals to to do their thing and and rally and get the boys going.
0: Yeah. And, you know, since you're a football fan, the perspective there with the length of the schedule is like, okay, you just went two and eight over 10 over a 10 game stretch. That's the equivalent of losing one football game in in terms of the relative schedule size. Right. So uh, we can take a deep breath a little bit. Uh, Travis Snyder. Hall of Fame Classic in Cooperstown this weekend, the Legends game on Saturday. I, I, I've i got to follow up with you at some point. I need to know what the spread is like at a Legends game at hall at the Hall of Fame Classic. I, I got to know. I know you're a grill guy. I know you're a meat guy. I, I got to think the Hall of Fame is going to come correct when it comes to the banquet after the fact.
4: I'm going to keep my expectations low, but I'm, I'm hoping that you're right and that I can I can to fill you in on something good like prime rib or lobster. Um, just pray for my hamstrings and obliques. I'll be honest. I haven't done much in terms of preparing for this game. I did go hit the other day and I still got that. So I know I'll be ready to, to face these guys and look forward to seeing some of the guys on the other team that I've faced over the years to be able to talk some trash out there and have fun.
0: Well, I'm glad you're getting to do that, man. And again, really looking forward to hearing more about, about what you're putting together with your partner on the, the mental health and mental training side uh, at the youth levels and you know how that can apply to the major league leagues as well um thanks so much for taking the time out travis i really appreciate it
4: you bet man have a great one and and go jays travis snyder
0: uh former blue jay at lunchbox hero 45 on twitter of course um the hall of fame classic goes saturday at the legends game travis snyder is on team burt blylevin he's he's the manager and and canadian fergie jenkins is a is a coach on that team as well along with raleigh fingers so uh travis snyder in the six hole And playing left field that that team's got some fun, not all that recently retired guys on it. Chris Young, who we see every day on MLB Network is leading off for that team. Josh Reddick, king of the wrestling walk up music uh, is going to hit second there and and a a couple other fun names as well. Glennon Roosh getting the start for Travis Snyder's team. So keep an eye out for, for clips from that, for highlights from that. Uh, if you missed, we mentioned it a, a little bit earlier. We do have a Jays lineup. We'll go into some of the uh, matchup stuff in a little more detail as we get toward the end of the show. It is a 1 o'clock start, so we have the lineup already. We know it's Alec Minogue and Zach Eflin. Uh, once the show ends at 12, I'm hopping over to the Blue Jay Central with, with Jamie and Caleb. Uh, we'll get into some more of that. But the big headline item is no Danny Jansen update just yet. Tyler Heineman is with the team in Tampa. Now he was pulled from the Buffalo Bisons game in the fifth inning yesterday as a precaution and joined the team in Tampa in case Danny Jansen requires an IL stint. He was dealing with what the team called groin soreness yesterday. Uh, John Schneider's quotes after the game made it seem like uh, the calling it minute by minute. It made it seem like the whole medical staff would just be like hovered over Danny Jansen while he sleeps, just staring at uh, his leg to see if it gets better or if it gets worse. Uh, But for right now, no corresponding roster move. Uh, Dalton Varsho would on paper be the uh, backup catcher with Danny Jansen unavailable today. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll take you through the lineups and the pitching matchups uh, closer to 12 o'clock. We're going to take a break. When we come back, row flow, Robert Flores of the, MLB network. He just wrapped up MLB central on there. It's actually on in the studio. So I was just watching them. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, they did, you know, I, I do the concern index here. It's something that I've done in Raptors articles for a long time. And we did on Jay's talk plus and, and the fan morning show a, a bunch over the last couple of years. Uh, they call it freak out factor, which is admittedly a much better name. Uh, they had the Jays pretty high on that freak out factor, pretty high panic rate. Travis Snyder preaches Patience because it's a long season. We'll see what Robert Flores thinks of where the Blue Jays are at right now. And we'll get you set for 1 p.m. start. Jays Rays, part four. Uh, all that's next as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360.
2: Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. You're about an hour and a half from Blue Jays Baseball. 1 p.m. start today. Zach Eflin for the Rays against Alec Manoa from the Blue Jays as the Jays look to even out the series. We're with you until 12 here, and then uh, the Jeff Merrick Show takes over. But, of course, Blue Jays Baseball, 1 o'clock, wherever you consume Blue Jays Baseball. That music is chosen intentionally. Uh Maybe I should have gone with a little Here Comes the Money coming off the Jays uh getting stifled by Shane O'Mac, Shane McClanahan. Robert Flores of MLB Central and MLB Network joins us now. Roflo, how's it going, man?
2: Well, I feel like I should get credit for uh coming up with the nickname Shane O'Mac that was already in existence, but I still came up with it first, if that somehow makes sense.
0: Yeah, you you... We'll, we'll say that you didn't come up with it, but you repurposed it for Shane McClanahan first. That much I think we can give you, right?
2: Perfect. Here comes the money indeed.
0: Uh, so you are uh, a wrestling guy in addition to being a, a baseball guy. And I know Twitch streamer too, MLB the show, at Real Row Flow uh, on Twitch. Some sick Expos-inspired gear uh, there as well. But you are a wrestling guy, and I, I only mention it because... Um, Brett the Hitman Hart got inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame last year, but because of pandemic things, uh, it's only now this weekend that he's actually getting to come and see his star. I know you have some pretty hot Brett Hart takes, though. Is that correct, Robert? That's right. Brett screwed Brett. Brett. Remember that unbelievable. I, I, I don't know that he's uh, listening right now, but I have it on pretty good authority that even though he's a little older now, he can still lock on a pretty good sharpshooter. So I just I tread lightly, uh, tread lightly, Robert. Um,
2: so no, I, in all seriousness, real quick, Brett and I were going to do a wrestling podcast a handful of years Whoa. ago. It yeah, it was it was kind of in the later stages, and and uh, I, I was so excited because obviously. Uh, I was and still am a huge Bret Hart fan, and I think he's a very interesting guy, but ultimately he decided uh, he just didn't want to do it, Hmm. which I totally respect, but uh, um, yeah, I think about it quite often because it really would have been, you know, I feel like we see a lot of wrestling podcasts and and things of that nature now, but years ago when we were talking about this, there, there weren't, it wasn't as crowded a landscape as you see now, so um, I, I, wish we could have done it, but, uh, but ultimately he decided
0: against it. Uh, that's a tough one. I'm sorry to hear that, but, and, and now I understand your Brett take a little bit more, um, but, uh, hopefully cross paths, uh, again in the future, Alec Manoa is throwing today. Can you, this is the last one on wrestling before we talk actual baseball, but, um, if you were listing out, you know, the professional baseball players you think could make the transition to pro wrestling, Manoa has got to be near the top of your list, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, he's an imposing figure on the mound, and uh, I'm trying to think what wrestler he reminds me of. Uh, you know, a big dude, sneaky, athletic. Uh, I want to say he, he's not as big as Keith Lee, but in that same vein of of a big man that can do small man or little man things. Alec Manoa is a... Uh, I think, like I said, he's an imposing figure. He's a good athlete. And hopefully he can get on track because the blue Jays need him.
0: Yeah, for sure. They, they sure do. And the AL East isn't getting any easier and, you know, we'll pivot to actual baseball talk now, but Robert, um, what do you make uh, of Manoa's struggles to start the season? We, we can pull it a couple different threads. There are a few different statistical indicators, but you know, at a high level, when you see a guy who had established himself over his first 50 career starts at a level that, you know, you compare who else had that ERA over the first 50 starts and it's, it's nothing but bangers or guys who unfortunately like a Matt Harvey had an injury that kind of derailed them. Um, what do you make a, of him having such a, a down start to this year, given the the level he'd established so young?
4: I think it's
2: really a combination of factors, not the least of which is he's been, you know, the velocity has been a little bit down at times. Um, other times he's been missing with location. So I, I don't know if it's, pitch selection versus pitch execution, but I also think he's been the victim of a little bit of bad luck, and it's all really snowballing into, just as you said, a a season that we did not expect considering his previous body of work. And when I mean the bad luck, little flares falling in, or, or even what happened in his last start, I think it was his last start, He's pitching okay. He's trying to grind through, and then John Schneider comes out and he forgets that he had already there had already been one mound visit in the inning, <laughs> and now Alec has to come out. So I, I thought that was just a perfect microcosm of just what has gone wrong for Alec Manoa. But I, I I have faith that he can turn it around because if nothing else, he's a fiery competitor. I love his when things are going right. I love his mojo. I love his attitude. And I think he's going to find a way to get back to that.
0: I think so, too. You know, the, the bar he set was just so high in the first place. Um, and that's, you know, it, it's kind of a similar story. Not, not exactly the same, but when Jose Brios had such a bad 2022 and you look and for years he had been the most consistent pitcher in baseball and then suddenly everything started to unravel. I, I, I do think sometimes, you know, these things can build on themselves because you're pulling at one thread to try to fix this thing and then something else comes out of alignment. Uh, Jose Brios looks like he has turned things back around. Around a little bit here 422 era so far this year are you buying Barrios a, as a bounce back guy so far
2: i am just because the stuff is so good he is he is so good uh, our own mark DeRosa, who i you know do, uh, co-host the show uh, mlb central with a former blue jay he said if i was in that blue jays clubhouse i would constantly tell jose Barrios. You are better than you think you are because the stuff plays. He has shown flashes of being a frontline starter. So I, I think that the Blue Jays, listen, it has not gone the way that they had expected that their fans or anyone associated with the organization thought they were. But they are still above 500. It is still relatively early in the season. And we've yet to see the best of some of. They're frontline guys. We talked about Manoa's struggles, but Jose Barrios has not caught fire, really. Uh, he's pitched well better, uh, or recently. George Springer, saved for the, the, the game at, at earlier in the series against the Rays, where he was a double shy of the cycle. He hasn't got going. Matt Chapman has cooled off since his hot start. So, listen, there is a lot to still be positive about this team and this rotation, I think they're going to find a way to be every bit in the mix of what is a very, very difficult division.
0: Very difficult division. And, you know, that's that's some really good perspective you, you laid out there. And that's kind of been the, the talk of this week of things are bad and you need to have some urgency, but you can't uh, melt down entirely. Now, you guys do something on MLB Central, on MLB Network, called Freak Out Factor. And, you know, yeah. you, you weren't the one that gave it an 8 out of 10, but you guys you know, in that segment, the Jays were given an eight out of 10 for freak out factor right now. Uh, I'm, am I hearing you right? That that is a little on the high end for your tastes.
2: I would, if I had on a scale of one to 10, I would put it at say a six and a half. Okay. Yes. It's, it's concerning. Yes. The other teams in the division are very good. The Ori the Orioles are not going away. Uh, the Yankees are the Yankees, the red sox They're going through a bit of a rough patch, but, but the blue Jays, they have the ingredients to make a deep, deep run in the postseason. I'm still a believer, but they need to get going probably sooner rather than later.
0: They do. And that's how you get nine and a half games back in the division. Even though you've started uh, the season over 500. I, I guess when we look at some of the Jays' struggles, um, we, we can obviously revisit, and struggles is maybe a, a high bar for that word, given their 26 and 24. Um, but, you know, they are at the bottom of the AL East, and expectations were much higher. Um, we can obviously revisit some of what they did in the offseason, and, and it's hard not to notice, you know, you're tweeting about it, and you guys are talking about MLB uh, on MLB Central. Um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. having... The May to end all May's, and now suddenly Yuli is really hot as well. What's going on with the Guriel family?
2: Yeah, listen. Uh, both of the Guriel brothers' former clubs maybe have a little bit of remorse in in letting them go. Um, you know, just revisiting the Lourdes Guriel trade. You you, the Blue Jays, of course, send him. They send Moreno. And both of them are starting to find their way at the plate, especially Gurriel. That's not to say Dalton Varshow has not had some moments with the Blue Jays. And I know this lineup had to get more left-handed. So on the surface, I understood it. But at the time, I remember thinking, man, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty firm exchange for Dalton Varshow. And I like Dalton Varshow, as I said. He's had some good moments already with the Blue Jays. But, yeah, it does make you wonder, was that the right deal? Because right now, Gurriel and Marino are having problems, are are having really good moments at the plate for their current clubs. As far as Yuli Gurriel goes, the Jose Abreu signing by the Astros has been a failure so far. He's yet to hit a home run. Um, And this is now a stretch that goes back to his days with the Chicago White Sox. Remember, he, his power seemingly evaporated towards the end of his White Sox tenure, and that has not improved so far with the Astros.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a, a tough go for Abreu there, and, and the Astros in the – unusual position over the last couple of years of looking up at a team uh, in the American league West, even this early because the Texas Rangers have, have been so good. Um, no, everyone is looking up at the Tampa Bay Rays. They've started the season 36 and 15, of course had that ridiculous uh, start to the season. And even as they've come back to earth a little bit, still a very, very good team. Um, Robert, I know you guys mentioned this on MLB central today. One of the things that stands out for this Rays team is the depth in their offense. And I think you guys said their seven to nine hitters have 30 home runs already this year. Um, How have the Rays been able to put together a team that lineup wise has basically no holes and and that's while playing both sides of the platoon, like righty, right-handed starter, left-handed starter. It doesn't really seem to matter that much. The Rays have the depth.
2: Well, I think if you look back at what this lineup did or did not do last year, some of the problems or some of the lack of production can be pointed to they weren't available. They were injured. Wanda Franco missed a significant amount of time. Harold Ramirez also missed some time. So this was a lineup that it where there was a lot of shuffling for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was health. But as you said, pointing to that stat, they, the, the seven through nine hitters collectively have hit 30 home runs for the Tampa Bay Rays. That is the most in baseball. The next closest team is the St. Louis Cardinals. They have 22. I love their approach. Yandy Diaz has gone from a guy that gets on base a lot, that makes a lot of contact, to now makes contact, and oh, by the way, he's added power. So uh, I'm a believer in, in the Rays. Can they sustain it for a World Series title? I don't know. But I do know they're getting Tyler Glass now back this coming weekend. So you throw, now you have Shane McClanahan, Zach Eflin, and Tyler Glass now with a sprinkling of Taj Bradley, who's been pretty good in his limited time since coming up to the big leagues. A bullpen that has been lights out. Uh, I, I think the, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be very, very difficult to deal with uh, moving forward and into the postseason.
0: Yeah, it sure sounds that way. And you mentioned the the depth in the lineup. Alec Manoa, by the way, the second worst on base percentage allowed to the bottom third of an order so far this year. A big part of his struggle has been that uh, he can't get the lower thirds of orders out and the lineup rolls over on him a little bit. So that'll be interesting uh, to watch today. You mentioned Zach Eflin. He is on the hill for the Rays today. The owner of a 345 ERA and the second lowest walk rate in all of baseball, just 2.7% of batters. Uh, And that's over a pretty good sample so far. He's made eight starts. He's thrown 47 innings Um, beyond just that pinpoint accuracy. What makes Eflin so hard to deal with? Start to start.
2: I mean, you said it. He he pounds the strike zone. Um, I always thought he was a good pitcher. I know last year the Phillies used him coming out of the bullpen, but you know, you, it's one of those raised moves, right? Mm -hmm. Where you already take a player that has, has, is a proven performer. And now he goes to Tampa Bay, and they find ways to make him even better. Um, So I I love, I love the signing. Um, I, I love what he brings to to that rotation. Shane McClanahan is your frontline guy. Tyler Glass now has tremendous stuff. Health has has been an issue for him for the last handful of season. But Zach Eflin, I feel, has been is a reliable second or third starter depending on how you want to rank them and and, and i love the move and it's paying off uh, immediately for the for the tampa bay race
0: sure looks like it and glass now potentially starting saturday so so the rich get richer on that front uh robert before we let you go here i know on mlb central you guys do a, a jukebox segment uh what are you spinning in today what, what's uh what's in your cd player or your your spotify
2: whatever you use Oh, CD player. Now, I know I'm old, but I no longer have well, a CD player. I
0: heard the ding I, I, of a car door or something like that, and I have a very old car. So uh, <laughs> that tells you something about me, not about you.
2: Hey, you you know what's crazy? Uh, I, I'm going to work out later, and, and I don't know if I'm the only one that will have um, – the DX theme in their playlist. But when I hear that song, it gets me fired up and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to admit it.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a hard one though, because then you start doing the the hand gestures to everyone in the gym that I, you know, I'm not going to say it on air, but you start doing that, start giving out pedigrees and stuff like that. I don't know if you'll be the most popular guy at the gym, Robert.
2: Hey, I am going to DX chop my way all around the elliptical, and I might super kick someone, so you never know. All
0: right, just be be careful with it. We can't have you coming down with a Danny Jansen-like groin injury or anything like that. Uh, Robert Flores of MLB Central on MLB Network, thanks so much for taking the time out, man.
2: Yeah, you got it. Have a great day. Appreciate it.
0: Robert Flores, MLB Central on on MLB Network, uh, 9 to 11 a.m. every day, and uh, Real Row Flow on Twitch if you want some MLB the show Streaming. He also has some uh, some Expos inspired gear on his Twitter or or his Twitch page, and I only mention that again because if you fire up an old This Day in Baseball History today, one of the more interesting trades in Montreal Expos history happened. Yeah, and May twenty fifth. It's a weird time for a big trade like this, right? Uh, but the big unit. Randy Johnson got dealt from the Expos to the Mariners on this day in 1989. Uh, not a huge, huge deal uh, name-wise. Um, it was Randy Johnson, Gene Harris, and Brian Holman uh, for Mark Langston and a player to be named later that became Mike Campbell. So uh, maybe not a trade full of names of baseball cards that you have in their special protectors, but that Randy Johnson element uh, certainly backfired. And at that point he had, you know, he had already debuted at that point. He'd had two cups of coffee with the Expos as a a starter and even uh, with one relief appearance, but he was of course not Randy Johnson yet. And then by 1990, uh, so like a couple months later, he was an all-star with the Mariners. Oops, not the, uh, not the best of deals. Jays getting underway at 1 o'clock here. Uh, As a reminder, Jays Talk Plus is now in the 10 to 12 slot. So if you're texting the text line at 590-590, which we always appreciate, just a heads up, at this time of day, you're texting me, not Blair and Barker. Blair and Barker uh, will be with you in the 5 to 7 slot every day, uh, so long as the Jays schedule uh, allows for it. It is... A one o'clock start today. It's Alec Minogue and Zach Eflin. And here is your Danny Jansen update. Hazel May from down in Tampa providing us a little bit more detail. So earlier we said Tyler Heinemann's there. He is on the taxi squad. He was pulled from the Bisons game in the fifth inning yesterday as a precaution. Uh, Danny Jansen dealing with groin tightness. He is scheduled for an MRI today. John Schneider told Hazel that they're just being proactive. They should have more info before first pitch. Uh, so keep an eye out for Blue Jay Central at, at 1230. I will be on there with Caleb and Jamie. And it sounds like Hazel will have an update uh, for you as well. Shai DeViti's down in Tampa for Sportsnet too. So um, it sounds like right this second that they may have avoided something here. But the MRI will reveal a little bit more. And of course, with the catcher position, you have to be... A little more proactive with with how you use an IL stint and how you use a recall because uh, you don't want to have Alejandro Kirk catch too many days in a row. He came in last night as a replacement as catching today in the afternoon game. You're probably fine with him, you know, Friday and then one of Saturday or Sunday, but you probably don't want him to catch five days in a row, especially with a couple of day games following night games in that schedule block. So you, you have to make a decision. Fairly quickly there, maybe a little less quickly than other teams because you do have Dalton Varsho, who last caught late July of last season and, of course, um, hasn't gotten into a game as a catcher, as a Blue Jay, but it's something that he did fairly regularly with the Diamondbacks over the last couple of years and coming up through the minors. So it's possible that you could take an extra breather there. Now, no Danny Jansen off the bench means that this is a, a bit of a an odd bench, and it's certainly an odd bench because it's an odd lineup. It's a getaway day. They are stacking lefties against Zach Eflin, who is a right-handed pitcher who's actually been tougher on lefties this year than he has been on righties, but that's not something you'd expect to hold up over uh, any large amount of time. Against righties, he, you're going to see a lot of his cut fastball that he kind of he had ditched for a little bit of his career when he was with the Phillies reintroduced it last year now he uses it like a third of the time uh even more than that against righties so he'll go cutter sinker curveball against righties and he'll go sinker cutter curveball changeup against lefties um nothing in the numbers that backs up that he's a reverse splits guy right now nothing in his history that suggests that um the curveball is his best pitch to either side, um, he'll get results with it uh, to left-handed hitters and to right-handed hitters. The sinker's been really effective against lefties, so look for a lot of that with the Jays having all five of their lefties in the lineup today. The one thing to watch for with the curveball, earlier in the lineup, Bo Bichette will lead off today. It's a scheduled off day for George Springer. Um, Bo Bichette sits on spin really well. Zach Eflin goes to the curveball. A ton when he gets the two strikes. So if you see Bo Bichette aggressive early in account and gets behind, gets two strikes on him, uh, Zach Eflin historically goes to that curveball a lot in those situations. And Bo Bichette historically uh, really does well fighting in account until he can uh, get some spin to drive. So that's an interesting kind of immovable force uh, again, or unstoppable force against immovable object. A little bit more about Zach Eflin. I mentioned with Robert that um, Zach Eflin walks next to nobody. He has a 2.7% walk rate so far this season, which is the second best mark in all of baseball. What that also allows him to do is nobody is more efficient with their pitches than Zach Eflin. He, averages just 13.7 pitches per inning. So if you average that out and, and we assume, hey, a guy's gonna a starter's gonna be able to go about a hundred innings. Or a hundred pitches, not a hundred innings. Uh he's just about the only starter in baseball that on a pitches per inning basis you could project out to have seven innings uh most times out. So very, very efficient. Doesn't give you anything For free. And even though he peppers the zone as much as that, again, not using very many pitches, not walking anyone, despite all of that, he has the third highest chase rate in all of baseball. So, how often can he get someone to swing when he does throw it outside of the zone? Only Kevin Gosman and Joe Ryan are higher uh, than Zach Eflin right now. So he's a pretty fascinating study in being able to pound the zone and pounding the zone so much that you almost get caught off guard when he goes outside the zone um, and then you end up chasing a lot. So that's something to watch for. And again, the, the big thing to watch for today is just how – uncommon this Jays lineup is. We'll go through it for you here. Boba leads off because again, George Springer with a planned off day. Dalton Varsho will hit second. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Brandon Belt in the cleanup spot and the designated hitter. He's the only Blue Jay to have homered off of Zach Eflin before. He's seen him a little bit more having been in, in the NL as Zach Eflin was in the NL for a long time, uh, but notable there that he has had some success off of him. Belt is followed by Matt Chapman. Nathan Lucas hits sixth and plays right field Alejandro Kirk hitting seventh. Kevin Kiermaier gets the bump up to number eight. So his quest to lead the league in hits from the number nine slot gets paused today because he's in eighth. And then Kevin Biggio will play second base and hit ninth. Kevin Biggio with his first career pinch hit home run um, yesterday. So maybe a sign of better things to come from Kevin Vigio. He needs it because he's had a a tough go this season and a tough go, especially uh, the last week or so before yesterday. That makes the bench Ernie Clement, Whit Merrifield available off the bench. That should be helpful. Uh, George Springer with this being a planned off day. um, I'd imagine he'd be available to pinch hit if a high leverage spot comes up. And then Danny Jansen, the extra name on the bench, uh, almost certainly not available today since he's off for an MRI uh, to make sure that that groin tightness is just that and not anything more serious. Uh, Tyler Heineman with the team, just in case Alec Manoa is on the Hill for the blue Jays. We still don't have a Tampa Bay Rays lineup, which is a little weird at at 1150 for a one o'clock game, but the Tampa Bay Rays do weird Tampa Bay Rays things. Sometimes Um, Alec Manoa, I mean, you know, the deal at this point, you know what we're watching for. Oh, the Rays lineup just came down. Well, look at that. Uh, They'll go, Low leading off, Franco, a Rosarena, Lau, Harold Ramirez DHing. Uh, I'm going to have a little bit on Harold Ramirez on Blue Jay Central around 1230 30 today. Um, I'll be joining uh, Caleb and Jamie Campbell there quickly. A little something on Harold Ramirez beyond just the cool blue hair that he does for autism awareness for his son. He's hitting 299 with seven homers and 20 RBI in the early going here. Uh, Walls, Rayleigh, Margot, Mejia round out the Rays lineup. So a good mix of uh, guys we've seen a lot of the last couple of days and maybe haven't seen as much of. And of course, when you go uh, Franco and a Reina near the top of your lineup, uh, tough going, tough going. And as I mentioned earlier, Alec Manoa has struggled with the bottom of lineups as well. Uh, The number two OBP allowed in all of baseball to the la- to the seven eight nine hitters in a lineup. You don't want to do that uh, too long. There was optimism, though, last time out. Alec Manoa started on Saturday. He, he went past the five-inning mark for just the third time this season. Uh, he only walked one hitter. He has a walk rate on the season of 13.9%. That's 98th among the 100 and small amount of change qualified pitchers. It, it's not great. But a step forward Saturday in terms of not walking guys, a step forward Saturday in terms of his two strike execution. That's probably the thing I'll I'll be most curious about today for the first nine starts of the season. Alec Manoa, even when he got a heading counts, when he got two strikes on a hitter, couldn't put them away. A lot of that is that the sliders generally his out pitch and that's a pitch that hasn't been breaking as much for him. It's eluded him a little bit from a control perspective, uh, but much better two strike execution last game. Nobody got a hit off of him once he got to two strike counts. So it'd be great to see that continue. Um, And then, of course, how he's using the slider and whether it's moving the degree Alec Manoa needs that slider to move because uh, the movement on it is down significantly this year. His ability to locate it on the edge has been down. Uh, Those are the kind of things you're looking for today with Manoa up against a very tough Rays lineup and Zach Eflin. The Rays lineup, by the way, we mentioned yesterday because you said Kikuchi was on the mound that They were the best offensive baseball against left-handed pitching, and that was by a pretty significant margin. If you look at WRC+, and by about 100 points of OPS, if you prefer that over any other American League team, well, guess what? they're also the number one offense against right-handed pitching. So, uh no rest for the weary as the Blue Jays look to get off this uh this tough stretch of divisional play. They've lost 8 of the last 10, now 6 and 14 in the American League East overall, including 2 and 12 in their last 14 within the division. Uh this is the last one against the Rays. It's the last one against the American league East for just a little bit. They've got the AL central leading Minnesota twins coming up on the weekend and we'll set you up for that uh, tomorrow. And then they get the brewers in town. So there is a little bit of a, a little bit of a break from the American league East here. The next time they play an American league East team is June 13th when they're in Baltimore. So uh, if you're tired of this division and you're tired of these teams, while well, the Jays aren't leaving the division, but at least they don't have to play anyone ahead of them in the standings uh, for a little bit here. Blair and Barker will have you post game Jeff Merrick show coming up next. And J stock plus will return at 10 a.m. Tomorrow to set you up for the twin series and break down this series finale. Uh, Caleb Joseph, Travis Snyder, Brian Kenny, Robert Flores. Thanks so much to all of those guests. Uh, what a lineup that Jeff has a party. My producer put together. Uh, so thanks to Jeff. Thanks to Lance Kennedy and Jennifer Rolnick behind the camera as well. If you want a little bit more from me, I will be on blue Jay central on sports at television uh, in the 1230 to one o'clock Range as we set you up for Zach Eflin against Alec Mano. The Jay is trying to escape the trap with a split. The Jeff Merrick show is next. He's behind the glass. I can see him. The only guy at Sportsnet with better tattoos than I have. Uh, what a gem! Uh, I'll be back 10 a.m. tomorrow. Thanks again. Jeff Merrick show is next on Sportsnet 590, the Fan, and Sportsnet 360.